0: Bienvenue, and welcome back to The Land of Desire, a podcast about the weird, wacky, and wonderful stories from French history. This week, we're continuing our series on the Belle Époque, that legendary golden age of Paris, perhaps most famous for its groundbreaking art movement, Impressionism. Last week, we discussed the lives of the women who posed for these new pieces of art. This week, we'll turn our attention to one incredible woman who preferred to make the art herself. On a warm summer evening in 1868, Bert Morizot attended a party that would change her life. She was 27 years old, with jet black hair, impossibly deep, dark brown eyes that pulled you in like a whirlpool, and a passion for painting that worried her mother. Bert loved painting, and what's more, she was good at it. Yet her passion for her art had driven away suitor after suitor, and 27 was overdue for marriage. One can only guess at Bert's state of mind as she made her way into the drawing-room. That evening, Bert entered the home of a friend of her family, a woman who enjoyed the company of all sorts of interesting artists and intellectuals and musicians and writers and other great minds of the time. Among those present that night was a charming man Bert had somehow never met before. He was the son of her family friend, and he was a fellow artist and he was someone who would become the most influential person in Bert's life, Edward Manet. Today's episode is a tricky one because Bert's own life is usually spoken of when it is spoken of at all in relation to the men in her life. She is mentioned in passing as part of the group, one of the gang, as the token woman along for the ride. At worst, she's treated like a groupie But Bert was the complete equal to, and in many ways more successful than, those men she considered her dearest, closest friends and her most trusted mentors and allies, the Impressionists. But I don't have the 17 hours I wish I could devote to this subject, so today we'll focus on one of the most interesting and understudied relationships in the art world, Manet and Morizot. The drawing room of Madame Manet was an elegant affair. Gleaming top hats, scarves, canes, and shawls would be handed to the footman, according to one writer, before the guests made their entry into the salon, which was hung with chandeliers. A butler or maid circulated with drinks on silver trays. This was the world Bert knew. As the daughter of the chief counsellor of the audit office, she moved in well-bred circles, As a child, Bert and her sisters had all received painting lessons, as part of the standard education for fancy young ladies. Yet Bert distinguished herself at an early age, growing bored by art instructors who were, frankly, less talented than she was. It's little wonder that these insecure teachers started sidling up to Bert's mother, warning that if Bert knew how good she was, she might attempt a career in art. Little did they know, Bert's mother was a bit of a rebel in her own way. She was unusually supportive of her daughter's career, and took it upon herself to manage her daughter's career prospects, as well as her marriage prospects. To many men in the room, they were one and the same. As Edward Manet would observe that first night, "...it was a pity the Morizot girls weren't men, but perhaps they could marry a man trained at the academy and push their work further." I like to imagine young Bert dumping a drink on his head at such a comment. She had career prospects of her own. Four years earlier, at the precocious age of 23, her first works were selected by the Royal Academy for display in their official salon, the make-or-break event for any new piece of art. That year, the Academy had been particularly picky, rejecting over two-thirds of their submissions. The rejected artists that year were furious, and one particular breakaway group of artists staged their own exhibition, the Salon des Refusés, a.k.a. the Salon of the Rejected. More than 1,000 visitors crowded into the Salon des Refusés every day, curious to see what all the fuss was about. Well, there was definitely fuss, and we know what it was about. It was Edward Manet and his Luncheon on the Grass. I don't have enough time today to give this work the attention it deserves. But this groundbreaking painting featuring a nude woman lounging at a picnic surrounded by clothed men was the scandal of the year. So when Bert and Edward first met, they were both talented artists in their own right, with the beginnings of their illustrious careers under their belts. Yet, Bert was intrigued by the artists of the Salon de Refusés, and when she finally met its mysterious leader five years later, they forged a friendship immediately. Within months, Manet had invited Bert to pose for his next painting, depicting two women sitting on a balcony surveying the scene on the street. The next spring, Manet's balcony, featuring Bert Morizot, would be accepted into the salon. What's more, through Manet, Bert Morizot herself would be accepted into a circle of friends. Men like Monet, Renoir, Degas, Pizarro, the groundbreaking artists we now know as the Impressionists. Part of the reason I started this podcast is so I could force my opinions on the rest of you. So here is one Edward Manet is the worst. Yes, he's a talented painter and all that, but he's basically the difficult ex-boyfriend in a Taylor Swift song. His feelings are all over the place. He can't decide whether he loves you or he resents you or both, and he uses your feelings for him to get what he wants. For starters, Manet was married. He was married the whole time, married to a woman named Suzanne, at least on paper. Shortly after the debut of The Balcony, Manet started... Uh, shall we say tutoring, a gorgeous young girl named Eva, painting her picture, singing her praises. Unfortunately, by this point in time, Bert was starting to get kind of a crush on Manet. But in true friend-zone fashion, Manet would rhapsodize about all of Eva's charms and talents to Bert, who was so not ready to hear them. Even Bert's mother could see what was going on in her daughter's mind, writing... You're out of his thoughts for the time being. Not to worry, since Eva wouldn't last long. Much to the relief of Manet's wife Suzanne, as well as to Bert, Manet was about to get distracted by something much more important. The war. In hindsight, Bert Morizzo really shouldn't have been in town during the siege of 1870. Bert's father was a civil servant, and he was staying put, and the rest of the family refused to leave his side. So, Bert's studio turned into a camp for soldiers, and the Morizos retreated further and further into their home, watching as their neighbors barricaded the buildings and padded their walls with mattresses. After the siege, once the commune began, life was intolerable. The streets were filled with dying soldiers and screams, and after two months, Bert left town. The Morizot family home barely escaped the commune, and an exploding shell next door broke every window and blew the paintings right off the walls. Meanwhile, Manet had spent the war ready to stand and fight, or so he said. After moving most of his paintings to the basement of his art dealer, he signed up for the National Guard. But years later, Burt would remark that Manet spent most of the war changing his uniform. Yet, the harsh realities of war were real enough for Manet, and he missed Suzanne terribly. In some ways, these must have been some of the best days of their marriage. "'I long to see you, my poor Suzanne,' he wrote. "'I don't know what to do without you.'" Alas, for Suzanne, once again, these feelings had an expiration date. Suzanne, who had spent the war hiding up high in the mountains until the danger had passed, had been understandably stressed out, and while she was separated from her husband, she gained a lot of weight. By the time that husband and wife were reunited, the steadfast, loyal, wartime Manet had disappeared, and flirtatious ladies' man Manet was back, his first move visiting Bert, of course. He immediately asked to paint her portrait again, and Manet and Bert lapsed into their unspoken, undecided attraction, with a frustrated Bert struggling to resist the charm of a married man who constantly withdrew whatever affection lingered in the air without warning. It was pointless, and Bert knew it, but no other man seemed to support her art and challenge her mind. Manet painted her again and again in the next year and a half, with Bert starring in some of his greatest works. When Bert visited the debut of one of Manet's portraits, she says, "'I found Manet, his hat on his head in the sun, looking dazed. He asked me to go see his painting. I've never seen such expressive features. He was laughing. I definitely think he has a charming character, and it pleases me infinitely.'" In typical Manet fashion, after spending the last year and a half in the studio with Bert, he decided, yeah, he's in love with his wife again, and he takes Suzanne off for a second honeymoon. It was a terrible summer for Bert, all alone in Paris, while her closest friends paired off and left town. In a letter to her sister, Bert wrote, I'm sad, and what's worse, everyone is abandoning me. I feel lonely and disillusioned. And old into the bargain. Bert's mother was worried. We must consider that in a few more years she will be alone. She will have fewer ties than now, her youth will fade, and of the friends she supposes herself to have now, only a few will remain. I know that now the activity and artistic milieu of Paris holds great attraction for Bert, but she should be careful not to yield to still another illusion not to give up the substance for the shadow. How I wish the dear child had all this turmoil of feeling and fantasy behind her. In 1874, Bert and her fellow artists decided the time had come to stage an exhibit of their own. They were excited, Ten years after the Salon du Refusé had given the artists time to learn from one another, sharing techniques, perfecting their individual styles. And they felt that even if the Academy wasn't ready, perhaps the forward-thinking circles in Paris were ready to see what they'd been cooking up. Bert's own career seemed to be taking off at last, with one of her paintings sold to her family friend for 800 francs. When the rest of the impressionists met up at a cafe to talk about staging a show, Bert, of course, was not present. She was a lady; she didn't go to cafes. But Degas was such an admirer of her work by that point that he took the step of writing directly to Bert's mother, stating that we think that Miss Bert Morizot's name and talent are too important to us to do without. Unfortunately, the show was a disaster. Nobody in Paris was prepared for Monet's blurry landscapes or Degas' puny ballet dancers. The crowd didn't hate Bert's painting of a mother and child, but they were scandalized that a well bred woman should participate with this rabble at all. After the show, Bert's horrible tutor, the same man who would put her to sleep during lessons as a child, the same man who warned Bert's mother against her dangerous potential as an artist, had the nerve to write to Bert's mother again, saying that one does not associate with madness except at some peril. Things were about to get even worse. That same spring, Bert's beloved father passed away. With her career and her reputation on the rocks, and with mortality staring her in the face, Bert found relief in the most unexpected place. Eugene Manet, the younger brother of the painter, first met Bert years earlier, probably introduced to her by his scheming brother. Edward Manet had had a curiously stupid idea, and I can only assume it was part of some sort of reaction to the fact that he knew he could not have Bert for himself. Instead, he had pushed Eugene to take Bert away on a scandalous road trip. The two of them, unchaperoned, heading to Bordeaux, a trip which would have ruined their reputations and would have forced them to get married if they ever wanted to appear in society again. Bert's mother was obviously shocked by this insane idea, writing to Bert, He claimed he wanted to arrange it so as to compromise the two of you so that you would become his sister-in-law. Manet was acting like a spoiled child, determined to ruin the things he could not have. Even Menet's wife, Suzanne, shook her head, saying, oh, What a case. He's mad. He has no common sense. Needless to say, Eugene and Bert were not interested in throwing their reputations to the wind, and any possible chance for romance died with the idea of the road trip. It wasn't until 1874, when Bert's reputation was in danger of a different kind of scandal that the two began to reconsider the idea of a holiday after all. The scandalous spring was ending, and Bert realized with a heavy heart that another lonely summer, more isolated than ever without the presence of her father, was coming around the corner. I can only wonder at everything she was feeling when Eugene Manet re entered the picture. This time, Bert's mother was on Eugene's side. He wasn't perfect, Eugene was an artist himself, but he wasn't very good and he mostly lived off of an inheritance, but he was kind and he was quiet and he valued Bert and her professional ambitions enormously. If you can't tell, I have a tremendous soft spot in my heart for Eugene, who otherwise spent most of his life living in his elder brother's shadow where he seems to have been comfortable. Bert's mother actually revived the idea of the trip herself, though naturally she and Eugene's mother would accompany them as chaperones. For those of you who haven't done the math at home already, Bert Morizo was 32 years old at this time. Definitely glad there's some chaperones, I guess. This time, the trip was a success. Both mothers, who had been friends for decades, spent their time relaxing on the beach. Well, as much as you can relax while wearing a corset. Their children strolled along the waterfront. One can only imagine that at some point in their walks, Bert's skirt would have gotten splashed by a wave or two. Perhaps Eugene caught a saucy glimpse of ankle as she wrung out her skirts. One night, Eugene and Bert sat side by side, staring out at the harbor, painting the boats. It must have been an extraordinary moment for Bert, finally able to relax in the company of a man who wasn't afraid, or prevented by marriage, to fall in love with her, a man who deeply respected her art and her dreams of professional success, a man whom she could sit next to on a warm summer's evening by the sea, painting boats together. By the end of the evening, as Bert and Eugene began packing away their paints and canvases, Eugene proposed. Bert accepted. That winter, Eugene and Bert were married in a quiet ceremony in Paris. Only their friends and family attended, with Bert wearing, as she's put it, a plain dress and hat like the old woman that I am and with no guests. Bert was ready for love. As she wrote to her brother that year, I've found an honest and excellent young man who, I believe, sincerely loves me. I've entered into the positive side of life, after having lived for a long time by Chimérez. As a gift, Degas presented them with a painting of Eugene, sitting by the beach, a lovely portrait of the man she loved in the environment and the moment where she loved him. Degas was not the only painting the couple received as a gift. Bert's new brother in law, Edward Manet, presented the bride and groom with yet another portrait of Bert. This time, she's dressed in all black, her attention focused on something or someone off to the side of the room, certainly not focused on the artist. In the middle of the painting is Bert's hand, delicately raised revealing a simple, shining wedding ring. It was the last portrait of Bert that Manet would ever paint. With Eugene's financial and emotional support, and the relief from a lifetime's worth of worries about getting married, Bert was finally able to focus on her career. At first, things were terrible. A month after her wedding, Bert participated in another auction with Monet, Renoir, and Sisley, The good news is, Bert's artwork commanded the highest prices of any of the 70 paintings there. The bad news is, even the highest bid was 480 francs. Nevertheless, she was selling paintings, and if the crowds were mostly against the Impressionists, at least the crowds were getting bigger with every show. She exhibited with the Impressionists again and again, year after year, until one year, in 1878. Bert took a year off because, at long last, she had given birth to a daughter, Julie. Probably no baby has ever been so adored by so many legendary artists as Julie Manet. Whatever hesitation the Impressionists might have felt in expressing their love and care for Bert, whom they considered a friend but also a professional acquaintance and ally, they had no problem showering all their tenderness and funny faces and tickles on baby Julie. Her entire childhood was documented by the Impressionists, who told her stories and sang her songs, but who also painted her portrait over and over. Bert adored her daughter, and together with Eugene, the Morizos finally found the sort of domestic bliss Bert had always feared would be impossible for a woman in her profession. For the next 15 years, things were beautiful. Bert's paintings were being well received around Europe, and far from her old loneliness, Bert's life was full of friends and family. Bert and Eugene purchased their dream home north of Paris, and they began dreaming of the years they were going to spend in it. But it was not to be. The spell was broken on April 1st, 1892 when kind, gentle, thoughtful Eugene passed away from a long illness. I have descended to the depths of suffering, Bert wrote. I don't want to live anymore. I have Julie, but it is a kind of solitude nonetheless, for instead of opening my heart, I must control myself and spare her tender years the sight of my grief. A few years later, Julie grew terribly ill with the flu. Bert canceled all her appointments. She stayed home to nurse her daughter. No doubt, visions of Eugene's final days in her head. Julie managed to survive and slowly recover. But unfortunately, Bert, having caught the same sickness from her daughter, would not. As she realized her final days were approaching, Bert wrote her daughter a letter My dearest little Julie, I love you as I die. I will still love you when I am dead. I beg of you, do not cry. As one of her final acts, Bert named Renoir Degas and the poet Stéphane Mallarmé as Julie's caretakers. When Renoir heard the news of Bert's death, he took the next train to Paris, and he burst into the Morizot home to scoop Julie into his arms and cry. Bert Morizot's legacy was felt immediately after her death. As Pizarro wrote, you can hardly conceive of how surprised we all were and how moved by the disappearance of this distinguished woman. Degas and Renoir, moved by grief and responsibility, took care of Julie and helped her remember her mother. The only artist whose reaction was missing was Edward Manet. He had passed away in 1883. At some point over a lifetime of chasing women, Edward Manet contracted syphilis. As he grew older, a complication called locomotor ataxia set in. It's a painful condition, and it causes paralysis throughout the body. For six months, Manet had lingered on in terrible agony. Many of his paintings from this period show the beautiful flowers brought to him by visitors coming to say goodbye gangrene set into his left foot, and so Manet was carried to a table in his drawing room where the foot was amputated. Eleven days later, he died. Shortly thereafter, Bert wrote a letter to her sister, saying, "'His agony was horrible, death in one of its most appalling forms. If you add to these almost physical emotions my old bond of friendship with Edward,' an entire past of youth and work suddenly ending, you will know that I am devastated. After Manet's death, included in the inventory of his estate, were all seven portraits of Bert Morizot. Manet had never sold these works or even let them out of his hands, except for the two he lent to Bert herself. These portraits remained in his care when so many other great works of his were sold or given away. After his death, one particular portrait made its way into the hands of Manet's cousin. It was immensely important to Julie, and in the year after her mother's death, she would buy the portrait back and hang it in her bedroom so that it was the first thing Julie saw when she woke up. In the portrait, Bert Morizot is wearing all black, with a tiny gathering of violets at her neck. According to Julie's diary, Bert remembered everything about that sitting. Manet had completed the work in one go, just before another one of his mother's dinner parties. Before the two artists headed downstairs that day, Manet urged Bert to marry his brother. Before the two artists headed downstairs that day, Manet urged Bert to marry his brother. They talked about it, Julie's diary says, for a very long time. Thanks for listening to The Land of Desire. My name's Diana, and this is a one-woman show. I write, research and produce every episode for each episode i'll post extra content at www.thelandofdesire.com this week i'll be showing some of the paintings by and of bert morizzo while you're there you can leave a comment or send me a message thanks to all of you who did so this week i hope i've gotten caught up with all of you if you have a moment please rate and review the show on itunes You can also subscribe to this show through Stitcher or the Google Play Store. It's been another crazy week, by the way. We've had nearly 15,000 more downloads since I released my bonus episode. Thank you so much to all of you for your support, and I hope you'll all join me again in two weeks for another episode. Until then, au revoir!